Well, hello, and I'm good to be back here. I'm sorry I'm running late. You know, it sounds like a great idea. I can do these portions of scripture, these parshas, six or seven chapters, do it over a course of a week, present this podcast and publish it for you in a timely manner. (laughs) It's not working that way, is it? Well, the beauty is, I get into God's word and there's just so much there and he shows me so much. And if you do not study the word of God for yourself, you need to start doing that. There is nothing that can compare meeting God on the pages of his word. We learn in church, we learn from other believers, we could do organized Bible studies, and there's lots of different ways that God teaches us. But the most profound, the most personal, the most direct to your heart, right where you are, in whatever's going on in your life, is when you get quiet with God, with his word. And of course, you gotta start with, okay, God, I'm here, speak to me. Show me who you are. Show me who you made me to be. What do you have for me in your word? And every page of his word, he will speak to you there. He wants to meet with you. God wants a personal relationship with you where you meet with him and he meets with you and you have this intimate connection with each other. I really enjoy that. And I have spent weeks studying this small portion of scripture and I have enjoyed every minute of it. And I am not done, but I'm going to move on for this podcast because I gotta get a podcast to you guys. And it seems like a pretty familiar story. The story of Noah and the flood and what happened. And, you know, the two by two get in the ark, the rains come, the ark rises in the water, the water dissipates, they settle back down and they go back out and they fill the earth. But there's so much more to it. I'm so glad you're here. And I know you're gonna enjoy this as much as I have. Keep it as light as I can. I just don't have time here to go through it all. So thanks for joining me. This is the Living Brightly Podcast with Elaine Cross. Let's get to it. So yes, as I alluded, we are reading the story of Noah. And you kind of scratch your head and go, okay, so how is that related to us now? in 2022, in how to let our light shine, how to be the light in this dark world, what is going on? So yes, we do have the Noah story. And because I'm certain that you are intelligent, I know that I don't need to go over the surface level general idea of the story. What you need is the connection from the Noah story to 2022. What is that? So it begins with, these are the generations of Noah. Well, if you've been in the Bible at all, you know that generally signals we're gonna hear a lot of names, we're gonna hear some ages, we're gonna hear some lifespan, we're gonna hear some kind of dry information. And we do hear those things. But the unique thing about Noah is that God calls him righteous and blameless. Now, I don't know that God describes anyone else that perfect. (laughs) No one seems to rise to that level to be righteous and blameless. This guy is, is about as perfect as you can get. So who is he? And why is he so perfect? Because the world around him doesn't seem to be perfect. Isn't God gonna destroy the whole place with this big flood of water? Well, yeah. Noah's great grandfather was Methuselah. 
And Methuselah was a very God-focused person. You may know Enoch. Enoch, who walked with God, was Methuselah's father. And Enoch was very, very dedicated to his time with God. In fact, he separated himself from general society just to spend time with God. And then when he came back out of seclusion, they elected him to be leader and he kind of ran the show for a while. Well, when he stepped down, it all kind of went bad really fast. Well, Methuselah, his son, was also very godly, loved God very much and, and wanted to serve God. And his son, eh, not so much. But his grandson, Noah, now he was somebody he could pour his life into, pour his love for God into. So he did. So let's give a cheer for all those grandparents out there. Woohoo! Pour into your grandchildren. That's your first takeaway for 2022. Pour into people who may be younger than you and need to learn how to serve God. That is our first takeaway. So here's Noah. He's so righteous that God calls him righteous and blameless. Well, that's quite a bit. But boy, the world he's living in is not. And in fact, it's so bad. God kind of signals right in the very beginning of the story that, you know, the earth is corrupt. It's full of violence. The heart of man is evil from the day of his youth. And it's just bad. All flesh is corrupt. And God's like, I'm done with it. I'm just done. In chapter 6, verse 18, he says, But Noah, with you, I will establish a covenant. Now, that's a new word. Now, covenant is a very popular idea in Christian culture, in Jewish culture, in a lot of things. We're going to make a covenant with someone. Well, this is the first time the word covenant shows up. This is the first time God even talks about covenant. Covenant is a promise you make to another person. This is a covenant God is making to Noah. He says, I'm going to establish my covenant with you. So he hasn't done it yet, but he's going to. He's like, this is your potential. You have a potential, you righteous, blameless person. You have potential to have my promise personally for you. Wow, that's a lot. I just have this little thing I want you to do. I want you to build a boat. Well, I want you to build a box, an ark. And I want it to be three stories. I want it to be so big. I want it to be so high. I want it to be so, so and so. Oh, and by the way, you're going to take two of every animal on the face of the earth and put them in there. Every animal, every beast, every cattle, every bird, everything that creeps, it's all going to go in there. Oh, and you're going to have to gather enough food to feed all of them for, I don't know, an undetermined amount of time. Because <laughs> he doesn't tell them. He just says, pack it up with food. Of course, at this point in time, they all eat the same thing. So he can understand how much a person eats, maybe his family eats, extrapolate that out amongst all these animals. Now, of course, this could very well have been the first two fishes and three loaves of bread that turned into this never-ending supply of food. Or the pot that never went empty of oil. We hear about those stories later on in the Bible. <laughs> this is Noah on a boat. And it's going to what? it's going to flood? What's a flood? What's rain? What are all these things you're talking about? <laughs> and yet Noah loves God and he wants to serve God. And Noah says, okay, let's do this. 
And then God says, oh, by the way, take your time. This isn't a race. Take 120 years. Build that ark. And the whole time you're building that ark, tell people what's going to happen. Tell people the end is coming. Tell people repent and turn to God. Turn from your wicked ways. Serve the living God. The end is coming. It's going to rain. It's going to what? You're going to be destroyed. God is going to wipe out all flesh. Wow, you want to talk about being the oddball on the block. This is really odd. You're going to build this big, big box. And there's a wonderful example of this in Kentucky. They built an ark and it took them several years. Of course, they had a lot more sophisticated tools and they had a lot more help, let's say, than Noah and his three sons to build this ark. I'm pretty sure they just ordered the wood or had the wood brought in. I don't think they cut it all down and shaved it all down and formed it right there on the lot where they built the ark. But it's similar in the fact that there's no place for a boat that big to float in the middle of Kentucky where it's at. There's no lake. There's no river. There's no space. You know, it's one thing if you're going to build a boat next to a sea or the ocean or something, a bigger lake. Even the Great Lakes in North America. You know, there's some pretty big lakes up there. You could put that boat up there, but it's not near the lake. It's not near the sea. It's not even near a river. What is all this water? And what do you mean he's going to destroy all the earth, right? But he does. Noah is 600 years old when he goes in the ark and God shuts him in. God says, you, your sons, your wife, and your son's wives, get in the ark and I'll close the door. He closes the door and God seals Noah in the ark. That's very interesting. That's a, a cool little rabbit trail. You can go down if you want to. We're not going there today. <laughs> There's lots of rabbit holes. You start to think, well, if God's going to destroy everything and redo everything, it's kind of like he's redoing creation, right? It's almost like God's doing this redo. Let's do a redo. And in fact, just like the creation story where we heard it three different ways, we hear this ark story, not three, but four different times. Now, these are short stories that cover significant events that happen in history. Adam's story, the story that we read last time, was not quite six full chapters, like five and a half chapters, and it covered almost 1,500 years. There's not a lot of extra space in there to add extra unuseful information. So there's a reason that God is putting it three times. So here, there's a reason God describes this process not three, but four times. Build an ark. The earth is corrupt. You're going to take these animals. You're going to have to do all these things. Okay. But with you, I'm going to establish a covenant. Build an ark. Take two of every animal. Put them all in there. Noah did all that God commanded. God told Noah, I see your righteousness. And then on the second account, he says, oh, you're going to take seven of the clean animals and two of the unclean animals. So you get this new information. Huh. Never heard that before. There's unclean animals and there's clean animals. Well, we know that's going to roll into some very strict dietary laws for the Jews. There aren't those dietary laws yet because we're still eating grass. We eat grass and fruit and leaves, trees. Oh, and you're going to take all the birds, and you're going to take seven of all the birds. 
the interesting thing is, it's, and when he says this the second time, he says, so that the seeds will be alive in the earth. The seeds, meaning the seed of the animals, the seed of the bird, the ability for them to regenerate life will still be alive in the earth, even though God's going to destroy everything else. And then in seven days, it's going to rain for 40 days and 40 nights, and I'm going to destroy it all. And Noah did all that he commanded. And then (laughs) Noah was 600 years old. In seven days, the flood came. And we get these very specific on the second month of the 17th day, and the fountains broke loose, and the window of heaven opened, and Noah and Shem and Ham and Japheth and the sons and Noah and his wife and the three wives of his sons are all in the ark, along with the beast and the cattle and the birds and the creeping things, and get all this stuff again. And Lord, sh- the Lord shut him in, and the waters prevailed. And then the fourth telling, the ark went upon the face of the water for 40 days. Now we have lots of 40s. That's another really cool rabbit trail we're not going to go into. But there was another time we saw the face of the water, and that was in the original creation story. This is really getting this do-over, this kind of do it again. And then it said, in 721, it says, all whose nostrils was the breath of the spirit of life, and all that was on dry land died. Every living substance It's early in the books of Moses. You're going to have a lot of unique words that appear for the first time, but there are some really unique words that only appear a very, very few times. And this living substance only appears three times in the whole Bible. It's two times right here in Genesis 7, and then it's one time in Deuteronomy 11. It's very interesting, very unique, very rare word every living substance. God is going to destroy it, wipe it out, kill it, let it die. In Deuteronomy 11, verse 6, where we see this living substance again, is another time when God destroyed a whole family. The earth opened up and they all got sucked in in their tents and the Israelites saw this and This is the time when they're getting the law. And Moses is really telling them, you need to learn to love the law of God. Learn to love serving God because the consequences are not good. So that story reflects back to this Noah story. Noah was the only one who really loved God and his sons. So God was saving them and preserving them. And yet everything else, every living substance is going to be destroyed. The other thing that's really significant here is the water prevailed. And that's four times in the whole Bible. In verse 18, it prevails and increases. In verse 19, it prevails more and more and more. And in verse 20, it's 15 cubits. Now the, the water's 15 cubits above the highest mountain. And then in verse 24, it says the water prevailed 150 days. It was there. It was dominating. It was encompassing the whole earth. And then again, we hear, destroyed all the living cattle, the men, the creeping things, the bird. Noah was the only left alive and those that were with him. And then ate one, but God remembered Noah. 
and every living thing and the cattles and things that are with him. And, you know, <laughs> we keep hearing these lists over and over and over again. And there's significance to that. God doesn't say these things for no reason. And each one of those has little things in it, little nuances where God says, wait a minute, uh, you know, one point he doesn't have the beasts and the other point they're in a different order than they've always been before. And all of those little things are a way for God to say, hey, did you see that? Did you see what I just said there? Check this out because I have something hidden in there for you. I have some gold in there I'm trying to show you about you or about myself or about your role in the world. You have to study scripture for yourself. It's so important. Let me remind you right here that this is a value for value podcast. Thank you for listening. If you're enjoying this podcast and find value in what you hear, all I ask is you turn that value into a number and go to elainecross.com and make a donation. I freely provide my time, talent, and treasure to publish it, but I need your help to continue to provide this for you. I know people need to hear this, so I won't set up a paywall or subscription level. I refuse to be beholden to advertising corporations that control the content. You are who I want to serve. So help produce the next episode to spark the light in someone else to push back against the chaos of darkness, one person at a time. Go to elainecross.com, that's E-L-A-Y-N-E, cross as in Jesus died on the cross, dot com, and make a donation. And the only value that I find unacceptable is zero. Then send a note to me at donation at elainecross.com. Let's continue. In chapter eight, we really see this creation story kind of emerge, right? We had the water over the deep, and then the wind blew across the water, and the water started to recede. So you get that separation of the water above and below, and then the land shows up, and then he lets the doves out, and then you see the tree branch, the trees show up. And at some point in here, right, it's no longer cloudy, it's sunny. So you've got the light is fully restored when Noah opens the window. And then the ark rests, Noah lets out the animals, the animals go, and then Noah and his family come out. And the first thing God says is, be fruitful and multiply. And he does this in such a subtle way. And this is why I said, watch for those differences. God told Noah, you and your wife and your sons and your son's wives go out of the ark. Now, see, when they went in, it was you and your sons and your wife and your son's wives. They were kind of separate entities, separated male from female. Now they're separated based on their family unit, Noah and his wife, his sons and his son's wives. Now, God didn't list them all out, but he could have. He could have gone so far as to said Shem and Shem's wife, Ham and Ham's wife, Japheth and Japheth's wife. He didn't quite go that far, but he did make that very clear in this different way of saying, okay, now go out, be your family units, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. That's cool. That's definitely this whole new creation story, this redo of the creation story. And then there are these two odd little short, short stories (laughs) kind of stuffed in between. So he tells us Noah and his sons to be fruitful and multiply. Noah's first act is he builds an altar. When Noah lets everything out, he doesn't let out the cattle. He lets out the beasts and the creeping things, most of the birds, but he doesn't release the cattle until after he builds this altar. And he builds an altar to the Lord and he brings a burnt offering of every clean animal and every clean bird. Now you say, okay, well, Cain and Abel brought an offering. It's a different word. 
When Cain and Abel brought in their offering, their offering was kind of like a gift you would give to your boss, a gift you would give to somebody in authority that had the power to really make your life troublesome, almost like a peace offering. Hey, here, remember me, I'm not so bad. This was a burnt offering. It's a completely different word and it's a completely different event. Noah has recognized that God easily could have destroyed everybody and yet God chose him and his sons and his families to repopulate the earth to start over. And the only way that's going to be successful is if we recognize that God holds it all together and God wants a relationship with us. Second takeaway, have a personal relationship with God. You need that to live your best life, to get the most out of what this world has to offer, what this little time in eternity that you have on earth to get the most out of it, to get the best out of it, to have the most peace, to have the most prosperity, to have the the most positive outlook. Ask around, look around. Those people have strong relationships with God. They have a strong faith. And the most unhappy, discontented, frustrated, and frankly, bullyish people are people who have no relationship with God. They're floundering because they don't have a connection to what this is all about. And Noah did. And Noah made it very clear right from the beginning, as soon as he got out of the ark, he built an altar and he offered God a burnt sacrifice. And God came and changed things. Do you want to start or further develop a relationship with Jesus? Go to elainecross.com Jesus and download the free ebook, Connecting to Your True Power Source. It covers connecting with Jesus, choosing a Bible, how to pray, and finding a church home, and more. Again, that's elainecross.com forward slash Jesus. And God came and changed things. This wasn't just a, a redo. This was a, a new, a different world. No longer would we be basically the same as animals, eating the same food and all kind of working together in the garden in this perfect little cocoon. Now we would be able to eat meat. Now we couldn't eat it alive. We had to kill it first and then eat it. You couldn't eat the lifeblood because blood is very important. That's another whole rabbit trail that's very fascinating. But now too, instead of having dominion, this authority kind of dominant role on the earth, that, you know, that we're this suppressor. We're all equal, but we're more equal than others in the classic animal farm quote. God said that the animals will fear you. Well, we see that to be true. Most animals don't want to be around humans, even animals that live in cities. Now you'll have a few raccoons or different things that'll get a little emboldened, especially if they have rabies or something. But for the most part, if a human comes around, animals scurry away. I have a whole herd of deer and I live in a city, but there's some green space and there's this herd of deer. And a lot of times they'll run. Now, sometimes because they like to eat out of my bird feeder and they like to eat my bushes, that they'll kind of stand there and stare at me like, are you really going to push me away? Are you going to let me come and eat this bush? But for the most part, animals will run away from humans. They don't really want to be around humans. But that happened at Noah, because of Noah, because of the flood. After that are these two short stories. 
and it kind of gets mingled in where you kind of think the story's over, but it's not quite over. It says, oh, these are the generations of Noah, Noah's sons. Next, we have this story of the vineyard. The vineyard story is where Noah plants a vineyard. He gets drunk. He gets naked. Now he's in his own tent and his son sees him. And then his son goes outside and ha ha ha, check out dad's drunk. And the two other sons go in and cover him and cover his nakedness. Now the really unique stuff happens when Noah wakes up and Noah knew, he knew what his youngest son, Ham, had done to him. And that's your big flashing light saying something really happened. Doing a lot of digging and looking at a lot of Jewish commentaries and different things, the consensus is that either Ham sodomized Noah or he castrated him. And I don't think the sodomy one holds because that would have, that would have really defiled Ham at a level. And Noah doesn't say anything to Ham. Noah curses Canaan, Ham's son. The significance of that is, now Noah is a man who will follow God's command. God said, Noah and your sons be fruitful and multiply. Noah was fully intending on having another son. He was fully intending on having more children. You say, yeah, but his wife was 600 years old. Well, that didn't matter. You know, Sarah was 90 years old and she got pregnant. It doesn't matter with God. And this was way before then. You know, Noah lived 950 years or something. There's no reason that he could not have had any more children, but he never had any more children. It was almost like Ham. Well, the theory goes that Canaan was the first person who saw him and Canaan went to Ham. Ha ha ha. Look, grandpa's drunk and naked, blah, blah, blah. And then Ham went in and said, no, my son is going to only have a third. We're not going to have a fourth of this earth. And yet you see these fours, right? These four, kind of like the creation story being interrupted by these four rivers, these four headwaters. It's believed that Noah was going to have one more son and then he would have four sons, north, south, east, west, four heads of these families that would grow and populate the earth. But because now Noah couldn't have a son, Noah kind of like Israel, when he pulled in Joseph's two sons and gave land to both of his, his two grandsons, Ephraim and Manasseh, Noah pulled in Canaan and said, he's my fourth son and he's cursed. Kind of like the serpent in the garden. When God cursed the serpent and made him the lowest of all the animals. Well, what's the lowest of all humans? A slave. A slave who has to do and is owned by other humans. Third takeaway from the story, selfishness, greed, leads to some of the worst human atrocities like slavery and oppression. When you only think about self, when you live from a position of lack, well, there won't be enough for me. What about me? You're laying the groundwork for some of the worst activities that man can conjure up. Human to human, slavery is the worst thing we can do to other humans. Enslave them and force them to work as a less than person. With God, from a spiritual perspective, there is abundance. 
There's abundance of space. There's an abundance of food. There's an abundance of wealth. There's abundance of anything here in the world that you might gain from. There's an abundance of it. We are not lacking. And again, that's this division between those who follow God and those who don't. The secular humanists only live in fear and lack. Fear of the climate, fear of too many people on the earth are going to starve other people, fear of lack of food, fear of lack of space, fear of lack of control, fear, 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 lack, lack, lack. That's where Ham came from. And because of that, his own son became a slave to all the others. Now we go into some of the, these are the children of Shem, and oh, you can think, okay, maybe it's about done. Then all of a sudden you have this other Tower of Babel story, the second short, short, short story. It's only like eight verses. It's a very short story. There's not a lot of room for extra words, or extra thoughts. And yet we still have some repeats and some repetition. And there's so much to this story because it's so relevant to 2022. The Tower of Babel begins with, they were all one language and one speech. That's really weird wordage in English. I don't even know if wordage is a word, but the linguistics is very chunky and and not fluid. It doesn't even sound right. The same language and the same speech. Basically, they were all speaking the same language, yes, but they were all having the same thoughts. It was like they were all thinking alike. They were so interconnected that they had lost their individuality. They said, let's come together and let's build bricks. Oh, is there something wrong with bricks? Not really. But God makes this comparison. The bricks were like stones and the mortar was like pitch. Well, what are the naturally occurring elements? The things that God gave us were stone and pitch. And now we're going to make our own bricks. We're going to make our own mortar. It's not that they made them or that bricks are bad. But the elevation of this technology had become so supreme that they decided to build a tower that doesn't appear to have any purpose. It doesn't appear to be for housing. It doesn't appear to be like a civic center where we're all getting gathered together where, I don't know, maybe we'll worship God together. (laughs) You know, it's not like a seat of government. It's not, it has no purpose. It's just, let's build a tower that reaches all the way to the heavens. Was God threatened? I don't think God was threatened by it. But I think what God recognized was that this technology, this brick and mortar, as simple as it was, became so self-absorbing and they became so focused on the technology that they forgot about their individuality and their individual purpose and some of the other things of life. They had cities. They understood basic governance. God had given them some basic rules. You know, if you kill somebody, you have to be killed. Well, that takes a legal system. So they had this justice. They had those things that we talked about, justice for all and God for the faithful. And if the faithful remain faithful, they can impact those who don't. Like Enoch, when he was alive, he kind of led things and the world was very peaceful and served God. And then when Enoch stopped being in leadership, the whole world kind of went sideways. And this is what we're seeing here in this Tower of Babel. It's like, 
let's work together and let's be powerful and let's build this building. And it was almost like bricks were more important than babies. The community was more important than the individual. And this is our next takeaway. When we get so caught up in our group identity, and it's really how politics has gone in the United States for the last 20 years, 25 years, and I might argue much, much longer, but it's really, really ramped up in the last 20 years where you're either in this group or that group, and it's, it's almost coming to a head. It's almost like there is no individual. And I think the election results in 2022 was a lot of people saying, no, wait, uh-uh. I don't believe everything this side says, and I don't believe everything that side says, so I'm just not even going to vote. I'm done playing this game. I'm just not playing anymore until something else happens. And we have two years to figure that out, guys. So what do we do? So in this Noah story and what Noah means, what this story revealed to me, some of the major takeaways, you need to have a personal, intimate relationship with God. Everyone deserves justice, but the faithful have to remain faithful. We can use technology as long as technology is kind of put in check. We can develop bricks and use brick and mortar to build good things, but not just to build things, to build things. And I know we do it, right? They asked John Kennedy why we were going to go to the moon, and he said, because we can. Let's do it, because we can. Maybe that was our Tower of Babel. Maybe social media is our Tower of Babel now, where they control what you think and who belongs in and who belongs out and what is good and what is bad. And it's almost like the individual has lost the ability to say, hey, I want to know about what the other side is saying because uh, maybe there's something I'm missing. Because if they're that passionate, maybe there's something behind that passion that I don't know about. And the other side may be saying the same thing. But if there's a mediator says, well, you can't even hear that other side, or you don't want to hear that other side, then maybe we need a break. Maybe we need a Sabbath. Maybe we need a rest from the technology. What is the Sabbath? It's resting from creation. It's not resting from labor. You're still going to walk up the steps, you know, walk to grandma's house, or you're going to do physical labor. You're not going to create things. You can't light a fire that's creating fire, right? But if you have some physical work to do, you can do the physical work. It's just mundane work. You just can't do things creative. That's why you can't write because writing is ultimately creative. Study the word of God. Focus on him. Realign with him. It was a very fascinating study and I hope that you enjoyed it as much as I did. And the one thing that so jumped out at me, was so exciting. I literally called three people until I got somebody to answer the phone. You know, you call somebody, they're busy, they don't answer, and and that's okay. But I called somebody else, and I called somebody else. The the third person answered, I was like, I gotta just share this with somebody. This is just so cool. She's like, what? And I said, you know what happened in the flood? She's like, "Uh, I'm listening. God baptized the earth. Was almost like God dipped it in a pool of water, right? He completely submerged the earth and everything that was in the earth in water because God cursed the earth in Adam's time. He didn't curse Adam and he didn't curse Eve. Read it. 
He cursed the ground that Adam came from. And now it's like he restored the ground by washing it. In the Jewish culture, there's a mikvah. It's a pool of water. It has to be flowing water. It has to be living water. It can't be stagnant, dead water. Flowing water. And this mikvah, this pool of water, is for cleansing, ceremonial cleansing. The priests have to go in there to be cleansed before they can do the sacrifice and do their priestly duties. Women have to go into the mikvah every month. And then, of course, after childbirth to cleanse them. And God cleansed the earth. He baptized the earth with the flood. This refreshing of the earth, this refreshing of life. And why? Because God wants a relationship with you. He wants a relationship with me. If you don't know how to pursue that, or if you don't have a relationship with God yet, go to elainecross.com slash Jesus, and you could download the free ebook, Connecting to Your True Power Source. Don't forget to support the show. Go to elainecross.com. There are links all over the place for you to support the show. Figure out what value you get. Turn it into a number. Send that in so that I can keep producing this with your help. And you will be listed as producer if you want. If you don't, stay anonymous. Send me a note at donation at elainecross.com. And I will answer your question or respond to you. I hope you found this exciting. This to me was such a cool, fresh look at a pretty familiar story. And it was all because I said, hey, God, what do you have for me today? What do you have for me to share with your people? I know I left a lot out, but I hope you enjoy this. I'm Elaine Cross. Till next time.